You're listening to the Better Man Podcast, becoming life-giving men together. Hey there, everyone. Adam Tarno here. Thanks once again for tuning in to the Better Man Podcast. Our guest today is my friend Kyle Martin. Kyle and his wife, Laura, and their four kids live here in the Dallas area. Kyle is the founder of an organization called Time to Revive. They go around the world training the church to share the gospel. Kyle's also the focus of a documentary that you can find on Amazon Prime called The One Who Hears. It's really great. You should go out there and check it out when you're done listening to this episode. Here's why I asked Kyle to join us today. Kyle is one of the most faithful people I know when it comes to engaging the lost with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. He lives his life on mission. In fact, their whole family does. They live their life on mission. And I don't know a man out there who doesn't want to feel like their life matters and that they're on a mission that counts. And so here's what I promise. I promise that Kyle's perspective and example are going to challenge you and encourage you. And if you do a few of the things that he talks about during our conversation, you will no longer describe your life as being mundane or boring. So take a listen to this conversation, and then I'll come back with a few closing comments. Kyle, welcome to the podcast. Good to have you here. Thanks, man. It's great to be here. So the other day, I mean, this literally just happened a few days ago. We were driving around somewhere. I think we were down in Florida on vacation uh, when we left the whole ice storm thing that happened here in Dallas. But anyway, we were somewhere. We had just had an interaction with a, with a quote, stranger, my family and I. And when we were done with that, I was trying to remember, I think it was the person that drove us from the airport to the hotel, but I might be wrong on that. But as we were done, we talked about how nice that person was, and we had engaged him and talked to him about his family and things like that. And Jake literally said, do you know what Mr. Kyle would have done in that situation? And we said, what? And he goes, Mr. Kyle would have shared the gospel <laughs> with that man. And uh, and I loved it. I love that that is a part of your reputation and your family's reputation, and that's why I wanted you to come on today to this uh, podcast to talk about this. And so my first question for you is this. If if uh, if I would have told 21-year-old Kyle that one day your reputation is going to be uh, the guy who shares the gospel, uh, what do you think 21-year-old Kyle would have said about that? You know, I was talking to my wife, Laura, about this. And if you would have said 20-year-old, it would have been different. Okay. So my 20-year-old self was I was pursuing full-time sports in Dallas, working with professional athletes, doing the marketing. And I would have never thought that yeah. ever in my life. But when I turned 21, I actually had a radical, this is crazy, because I grew up a very conservative Christian in a small little town that had Amish community, so nothing crazy. Uh, I had a Damascus Road experience. And mm. what we mean by that is, is that Paul, the Apostle Paul in the Scriptures in the New Testament, he, he had an encounter with Jesus Christ that changed his life. The only thing I can tell you is I was at Taylor University, I was at a coffee shop, and for two hours I had a Damascus Road experience that the Lord clearly revealed to me my next steps. Mm. So at that point, I knew that I was called to share the gospel, but here's the, here's the crazy part is I just didn't know how it was going to unfold. Okay. That's really good. So what uh, was that a conversation with somebody over that two hours at the coffee shop? Was this you reading God's Word, praying, writing, journaling? What was it? I knew you were going to ask that question. <laughs> uh, the, the, the quick version is, is I had a young girl. Uh, she was a freshman in college at the time. I was a senior. She came pounding on the door, and she said, very clearly, I'm supposed to pray for you. She asked me, what do I want to do in my life? And I said, I want to train people for the gospel. And I go... I've never said that phrase in my life. Hmm. So she just started laying down and praying. Another kid comes pounding on my door. Uh, this is at the coffee shop, by the way. Yeah. And he said, I felt led by the Holy Spirit. I was in prayer time, and I'm supposed to come pray for you. And I was like, I don't even know this guy. I go, take a number. I got two people praying. <laughs> Literally for 45 minutes, they're what I would consider out cold praying. Yeah. They both come to, and they say, when you're ready, come on upstairs. And I go, ready for what? And they literally, a, a lady, the, the girl had pulled out a bottle of olive oil. 
And that morning she went to a grocery store and bought olive oil, and the Lord had clearly communicated to her. In John 10, it just says, my sheep hear my voice. So she heard that she was supposed to anoint somebody. Mm. So she prayed over me for two hours, along with this man, anointed my entire body. All my clothes are on, (laughs) okay, just so everybody knows. And I had a download from the Holy Spirit. Mm. I also know how to describe it. Nothing's like ever happened to me like that before, but it's directed my whole life since then. So, I mean, did you know, what's the next morning like for you after that? Well, in that time for two hours, I was actually, when I I was instructed, the Lord clearly told me, I don't know how to tell you this, it was an audible voice of the Lord. Right. For two, I I heard uh, that I wasn't supposed to talk to anybody for seven days. Hmm. And then I wrote down everything that I heard. And what I didn't know was at that college age, I didn't know it was the Word of God. Hmm. And so most of the things that I heard, it took me days just to process reading through the Scripture. Oh, that... That was from the Lord. Hmm. That was a promise found in Psalm 91. That was a promise found in, and you keep going through this. And so it took me hearing from him and then digging into the word to know he was directing my steps. That's great. That's great. So uh, when I think about your family, what our listeners don't know is that you and I are neighbors, right? And so we, uh, we've known each other probably, I guess, our, uh, our sixth graders started school together when we were about first grade. So we've known each other about five or six years. And one of the things that I would say, again, your reputation, and when I think about your family, and what I've observed is that you guys live on a mission. Um, and this this idea of living on mission, I think, really resonates with men. I yeah. mean, we start at that young age of wanting to be army men or, or have like this life that matters and go out and conquer something. Uh, but yet I see so few men engage in this living on mission when it comes to their faith, mm-hmm. which is, hey, I am on a mission from God to go around every day love people, interact with people, share the gospel. Why do you think so few men actually live this out? Yeah, that's an awesome question. And I think it's a question that the church has to answer every day here in America. And I think for me, the only way I can relate that to myself is, is that I grew up with a religious mindset. I grew up going to church, but it was a religion to me. Hmm. And there was a shift that Christ became relational to me. Hmm. And I really believe that when people are living on mission at least in America, there's a shift that goes from religion to a relationship. I want to spend time with the Lord, which allows me to think constantly about Him and everything that I'm doing. And so it's no longer, I know this sounds so obvious, it's no longer a Wednesday night and a Sunday morning. It's every day. Yeah. And it's because I want a relationship with Christ. And for me as men, you know, that sounds weird. You want to have a relationship with Jesus, like guy? Yeah. But man, he's radically changed my perspective in everything that I think. Hmm. So, what, uh, like, how how do you overcome some of those obstacles that most men face when it comes to this? Because I think about some of the men that I interact with, and there's fear, there is uh, insecurity, because it's like, well, what if people ask me questions about the Bible or ask me questions about the Old Testament? I don't want to engage with people with the gospel because I don't know how to answer all those <laughs> things. Um, what if they ask me a bunch of questions about Israel or yeah. something yes, like that, right? right. Like, and now I got to be this a Hebrew scholar or something like that. So how do you overcome some of those objections that I think are common to man? Yeah, I think you start off very simple. I, I go back to my relationship with my wife, Laura. We've been married 19 years, four kids. I want to get to know Laura, so I spend time with her. Yep. And I think for me, the only way I overcome any kind of fear is I have to spend time with the Lord. Mm. And I mean, this is simple. It is literally a prayer time with the Lord. And now most people are like, man, I don't have an hour to spend time with Him. Just start off in five minutes. Yeah. And then in that, you become hungry for the Word. So for me, how do you overcome these fears? The more that you get to know him, the more natural it becomes you talking about Jesus yep. or the Holy Spirit or you know God the Father, because 
all you're doing is thinking about him, all you're doing when you spend time with him, it just naturally overflows. Yeah, that's good. So, um, you know, when it comes to sharing the gospel, um, I feel like so many times when I've tried to engage people, maybe a stranger, maybe it be on an airplane or out in public or something like that, I just feel like I stumble over my words. It's awkward. It becomes a socially awkward situation. I, uh, which it, it like becomes comedy for me, right? right? Like it's a Seinfeld episode or something like that oftentimes. But here's, I have this really clear picture of you and something that happened uh, uh, it was last basketball season. You and I and our families, we were going to a ton of Richardson High School basketball games. There was one game. It was shortly after the Christmas break. It was a blowout, right? Like Richardson destroyed the other team. And so, if Kevin, if you're listening, you're welcome. I just bragged on your team. But um, And I remember at the end of the game, you and I and our families, we walk onto the court. I don't know if you even remember this. We were like shoulder to shoulder as we were walking down. Then we get onto the court, and you're, I look over, and you're not there anymore. And I turn around, and you're engaged in a conversation with a coach from the other team. Yeah. And uh, and you're talking to him, and he's engaging with you, and then you pray for him. And it just it just seemed so natural for you, and it didn't seem awkward. And I'm wondering, like, yeah. describe some of your approach, yeah. because I, I've seen it, and it doesn't look anything like my approach. <laughs> <laughs> First of all, let me just tell you, the approach came from studying uh, how Jesus engaged people in, in the New Testament. That's good. And so I wanted to see how does he interact with the religious, how does he interact with the, the lost, how does he, which, who, who and how does this unfold? And I have four simple words. This is totally not me. It's totally the Lord. He had a love for the lost. Yeah. So first and foremost, regardless of how awkward it is, you got to love them. When you love you're the basketball coach. I totally remember that encounter. You got to love your neighbor. You got to love your coworkers. If you don't have love, everything else is, is totally pointless. Right. And then in that process of loving that basketball coach, I listen to his issues. I listen to his problems. So I love and I listen. It's exactly what Christ did. I love and I listen. In that process of listening, I go to, in 1 Corinthians, it talks about these spiritual gifts, and one of them is discernment. Hmm. And I believe when you go from love and listen, for me, the third word is discern. So I discern what the Spirit of God is asking me to speak into this person. Because I think what's happened in evangelism in America is that we treat everybody the same. Mm. And to me, the discernment comes from the Spirit of God. They're different. They're not projects, they're people. Mm. And so we go, love, listen, discern. And then the fourth word is we respond. We respond with whatever. For, for me, Lord willing, it's the gospel. Right. If not, it could be buying them food, but it's love, listen, discern, and respond. Those are four practical points that I think if you can begin to just start praying into... Uh, I think you'd be pleasantly surprised how the Lord unfolds your steps. So I, I love that. So you have this attitude. You just see people. You wake up and you're just totally. like, I just love people. I want to. I want to talk to people. I want to engage with them. So then I listen. So what is, uh, what is one of the most common first questions you ask somebody yeah. to to start to listen? Man, that's an awesome question. I, I just ask them, how can I pray for them? That's good. Every time. It, there's almost a. It's if if I had a line. That was it. Okay. Because what that does is it shows me where people are really at. Are they freaking out about the culture today? Are they freaking about about the the, the weather today? What what are they nervous about? Or they could just talk about their son. Yeah. Somebody dealing with some sickness. But do you have to actually listen to what they say? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so how can I pray for you? And then we do it. I actually pray for them right then and there. And it's super awkward at times. Yeah. No problem telling you that. Share some stories. God, man, yesterday I was at the local bank of Texas, man, and it was so clear. I'm talking to the bank teller, and it was the, you know, when your heart just starts beating, you know, the Holy Spirit is prompting you, leading you to do this. And I'm like, I'm not doing this. I literally turned around and walked away. Seven steps. And, and you know, in First Thessalonians, it talks about quenching the Holy Spirit. I totally quenched the Spirit. Right. And God's like, don't you dare leave this place. 
And so I turn around, I go, man, ah, I had my face mask on, I had the plastic shield. There's, and, and it was basically me and every, you know, like, and it echoes. Yeah. And I finally just said, man, look, can I pray for you? And he said, yes. And then I got to share the gospel with him. There you go. And I think you just, we have to overcome, like scripture talks about, <laughs> like, they're not rejecting us. Mm. They're rejecting Jesus. So as a result of that, I have nothing to lose. That's right. And I like that first question. Um, can I pray for you? I think there's something about that that is bridge building. It's not trying to uh, find something wrong with somebody. That's right. It's not... Uh, sometimes a question that I have used before that is very effective uh, as well is, do you have a faith, mm-hmm. right? You're just asking somebody, yeah. you know, is faith important to you? That can put people on their heels a little bit, though, yeah. because it's kind of a yes or no question, where if you're saying, how can I pray for you? There is something very inviting about that, and everybody. I mean, all yeah. the times that's Jackie's go-to at well uh, as well at a restaurant. If we're at a meal and the waiter comes over right when the meal's delivered, you know, type thing, and she'll just say, "Hey, we're about to pray. Can we pray for you?" Every I, nobody has ever gotten mad, thrown something at us, said, "How dare you?" They have always been so touched and and sincere, and it does seem like a great way to engage in that conversation with people. It's an open door to the window, yeah, of their heart. Mm. And it really is. And I th- I'm really grateful that the Lord has allowed us just... And I'll just tell you this. It doesn't come natural. Mm. Anything that I'm talking about, it doesn't come natural. Right. And the way it started for me was is uh, when I would go to Flint, Michigan, and every single week I trained myself. I did it here in Dallas. Every single week I scheduled a time. I know that sounds artificial to go out and do this. Because until it's a part of your DNA, your schedule, you'll never do it. That's right. So, I mean, that when you would go to Flint on uh, with some of your organization, we'll put a link in the show notes for Time to Revive. I think it's a great organization that I definitely want people to, to learn more about. So when you guys go do this, describe describe how you'll do this in cities, because I think that's uh, it's really encouraging. I mean, the bottom line is, is we get invited by local businesses, local churches, sometimes local political folks, and they'll just say, hey, would you come help us learn how to engage our culture. That's mm. it. That's yep. all it is. And in, in other words, how do we leave the church building to get out into the streets? Yeah. And so then we'll just spend time working with the local church. It's it's across the board denominationally. And then as a result, we we not only train them, but we do it. I think that's a big big important difference. Like it's one thing to teach somebody, but when you're out walking with them doing it, it's a game changer. Yeah. And I think for me, that's what we've done in cities for the last, I mean, honestly, 13, 14 years here in the United States. That's awesome. So you've got a documentary out that was done called The One Who Hears that tells some of the story of Time to Revive. And what I loved about that was the way, how often um, you brought your family uh, into some of these opportunities just to engage the lost, talk to people, pray for them, share the gospel. Is that something that you and Laura have done intentionally, just trying to bring the kids along with you as well? Yeah, you know, it's been a process. Uh, you know, I don't ever want my kids to be labeled as the missionary kids right. or the pastor kids. Not because they're not a, sh- not because they're ashamed of it, but because there's a stereotype sometimes. It's like, oh, I don't want to do it because I have to do it. Right. And so what we have done. We've always had four words that we've done as a family. I actually got this from John Mazel, East West Ministries. We've always just wanted to model it for our kids. Mm. Like, I'm not going to make them do it. I'm just going to model. And then in this modeling, I assist them. And it, it really comes from the Apostle Paul in First Thessalonians. He modeled it for the church of Thessalonica, and then he assisted them. So then he walked with them. You know, I want to do this with Maya. I want to assist this in the process. You know, Jude, great example. I, I've helped Jude share the gospel in Whataburger multiple times. <laughs> literally, <laughs> literally. But then at some point, you model, you assist, then you have to watch them. Yep. 
You got to put it up and they got to do it themselves. And so for us as a family, we've tried to be intentional. Some days they love it. Some days they hate it. Yeah. I have no problem telling you that, but that's the same with the church. Yep. So here you have model, assist, watch. And then the fourth one is eventually I'm going to leave. Hmm. And I want them to do this on their own. It's a form of discipleship that we try to integrate in our families. And, you know, my kids will tell you, Adam, they'll be like, Dad, can you just turn it off, please? Yeah. Just sometimes just don't go to a store, just turn it off. And I try to honor that sometimes. But the reality is, is if the Lord's prompting me to do this, they know that it's going to happen. Yeah, you're going to obey God That's rather right. than uh, than obey them with all this. So talk about, you have a term, and I can't remember what it is. It's the U-turn. What do you guys call it? The whole Is it the spirit U-turn well, or something? Well, yeah, but we do have a spirit U-turn, a revive U-turn. Yeah, that's it, the it's revive. It's just kind of a given. Like, we'll drive past somebody, and like I'll just kind of look around and be like, guys, okay, fine, Dad. And then I just literally will turn around, and then I'll pull right up to somebody. And it just kind of happens. And, and really, that U-turn happens for two reasons. One, I saw a person. It's kind of like Jesus seeing Zacchaeus in a tree, like, okay, but I need time to then go engage him. But then two, it's me processing. I have three, These are maybe this is a little too far out there, but I believe that the Spirit of God speaks to us. And then I hear him, but it's me trying to figure out if it's him. Yep. And then I actually believe it's the enemy saying, you never heard him. Mm. And so it's this process of, in that U-turn, am I going to obey what I heard to go talk to that person? And I promise you, people in the church hear his voice all the time. Yes. The question is, is are we obedient to responding? Yeah, yeah. And I'm, you know, I can imagine just the stories that you and your family get to share now, the memories, you know, because it would, you know, as, as both of us as dads, that's kind of what we're trying to do right now is just yeah. build memories with our families. And so, yeah, you can do vacations and you can um, go to movies together and you can do the, have these, these experiences like that. But I would imagine doing some of these U-turns where you're going to go and engage with somebody or engage with somebody at a restaurant or, or somebody in the grocery store, your family is developing this this database of memories too, right? Man, yeah. There was one after church. Our family goes to the nearby church here in Dallas. And uh, right after church, I was like, guys, we're going to go out. And they're just like, <laughs> it was all quiet. You know, and I know which one of your kids you know, did that. It was all of them, actually. No. <laughs> <laughs> and so anyway, we're going past Church's Chicken. And in front of Church's Chicken was a lady, and she had a dresser drawer, like you would have in your house, and she was smashing it on the side of the road, like full on pulling out the drawers, smashing it. And I didn't even have to say, I'm going to turn around. They go, no, Dad, don't do the U-turn. Don't do the U-turn. And of course I did. Yeah. And uh, they, they, I say that because they know when they see a situation, uh, their heart is not love. They just, they know that it's a process. And I think for all of us to learn, you see a situation just how will we respond? And if you respond in love, God will open up a door. And it doesn't mean they'll respond to you. It just means those are markers and memories. So guess what happens? When we drive by that church's chicken, you know what they talk about? The smashed dresser. The smashing dresser. And did it lead to a good conversation? And, and it was... It, it was, was a crazy conversation, yeah. actually. Okay. She was a little crazy. Yeah. And you know, at the same time, I look in the scriptures, Jesus interacted with a lot of crazy people. Yep. Yep. But when you love them, you can disarm them with the things that maybe not of the Lord. Yeah. And listen, man, the thing that's so encouraging for that, Kyle, is I can imagine how many kids would drive by and and they would never think that their dad is going to turn around. You know, the, the reputation that their dad, uh, for their dad is just one of apathy or uh, lack of action, whatever it is. And so what a, what a great uh, reputation to have that your kids are going, oh, I know what my dad's going to do. <laughs> He's going to do something, right? Which is, well, and hopefully, which is awesome. Hopefully it will lead to them 
down the road, them responding as well. Yeah, that's really cool. So let's talk about this. 2021 right now, our culture has this reputation of being hostile towards those who disagree with us. So, you know, some could think about evangelism and trying to engage people in a conversation about life and death. I mean, the gospel is an offensive message. Uh, You are a sinner. You are headed towards hell. You need a rescuer, and that rescuer is not you. You need Jesus. Are you noticing any changes out there right now in 2021? Is it is it any different now than it was uh, 10 years ago? Yeah, it's a good question. Here's what I would say is don't buy the lies that are telling you people won't respond to the gospel. There you go. Don't buy the lies that people won't respond. I, I'm telling you, man, there are so many people that are desperately hungry for the truth. Yep. There is not a day that doesn't go by that I'm out talking to people and I'm just constantly thinking, if we only had more laborers to go into the harvest, we actually might see a move of God in our city. So to me, I do see a hunger. I do see a thirst. In fact, Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes, I mean, he clearly says there is a, everybody is searching in their heart. Hmm. And it doesn't mean because it's 2021 or, you know, 2000s, everybody is searching. We have an opportunity to introduce them to what they're searching for. Yeah. And again, in that documentary, as I watched it, uh, one of your other things you do, you'll carry around these bracelets and in a Bible, you know, that's color-coded and it's color-coded to tell the gospel. And and I'm sure there's a lot of different tools out there like that, that our listeners can kind of have a picture in their mind of what this is. But um, the reactions on the documentary of people just opening up God's Word and reading it for themselves, I think, corroborates that point and and supports that point that people are hungry for this. I I was, um, you know, it was remarkable to me how sometimes you were just teaching people the Bible, and and that's really what you were doing, was just going, hey, do you know what this means, and do you know what the Gospel of John is? Do you know know why we start reading in the middle? Isn't that weird? There's no other book that you start in the middle, you know, but for new Christians, we try to start, you know, here's why. Just the simple explanations of that, there seemed to be a huge response with that. So how often when you're engaging with people do you find yourself just teaching discipleship Bible basics? All the time, and here's the crazy part, a lot of it, it's with the church. Hmm. Uh, I had a UPS driver that came to our office, and I went out and prayed with him. I actually ran down and chased after the UPS truck. That's another story. So I prayed with him. He leaves, but I showed him the wristband. I showed him the Bible on how to share the gospel. He came back in 10 minutes. And he said, I just called my Spanish-speaking pastor. These are his words. And he said, can you give me 60 Bibles? We got to teach our church. Wow. Literally the next day, this was about three weeks ago, literally the next day, I'm training his local church on the side of the road on how to share the gospel with people. Because people are so practically hungry how do I and where do I start with the scriptures? That's amazing. Even in the church. And that's not a knock against that church. It's, yeah. That's the reality of where do we start? I love that. And it because the solution is simple sometimes, right? It's not this complicated, well, if I'm going to go engage the culture, well, I've got to read every Timothy Keller book on apologetics, and then I've got, which is, those are fine. That's fine. I mean, you have to equip yourself and, and be ready to engage in the public square. But, uh, but I love these four words, the love, listen, discern, respond. It starts with your heart that cares about people, and then just ask them a question, listen, and and you can get really, really far on building a relationship with somebody, right? Like you're yeah. not trying to close a transaction right away and just be like, okay, great, I prayed them into heaven, now let's go on and find the next person that's smashing a, a, you know, a, dresser, a dresser on, on the, the side, side of the road. road. <laughs> you're trying to build these relationships and, um, and all of that. So... Um, let's just, as, as we try to wrap up here, uh, I'd love for you just to encourage some men who are listening right now. So how, what would you say to a guy who is sitting there just going, I hear what you're saying. I'm never going to do that. Uh, I don't think I could ever talk to anybody about Jesus. So how would you encourage that person? Man, it's a simple way to respond. And many of the listeners, maybe they're married, maybe they're not, but let's just assume you're dating somebody or you are married. Okay. 
and then, you know, you're hanging out with your friends for five years and you never told your friends that you're dating somebody or married. Wouldn't that be weird? Yeah. I think that's strange. Yeah. Why do we treat Jesus the same way? Yeah. I think for me, if I, if he's radically changed my life, if he's altered everything of um, uh, who I am, I have to tell them. Mm. I have to tell them about the Christ who's changed my life. And so I think for me, when you spend time with him, uh, don't ever buy into the lie that Satan gives us. It says, you are not qualified. That's a lie straight from Satan. Jesus comes to give us life, and he wants us to tell them about others. So if you spend time with him, you kind of have to tell somebody. It just overflows. And so for me, I really believe every one of us has been equipped to do this. Yeah, that's exactly right. So Kyle, uh, any final thoughts as we wrap up? No, I just, I, you know what I'll just say is it's fun to watch our families yeah. connect. And our our foundation is not because you're a Clemson fan and I'm a North, Notre Dame fan. <laughs> that's clearly not clearly a good that's foundation. Clearly that's not the case. <laughs> it's because of who we are in Christ. Amen. And I will tell you, that's what changes neighborhoods. There it is. Is when we are founded in Christ, neighborhoods can change. And it's an honor, man, to hang with you and get to know you guys. I love it. Kyle, thanks so much for coming by today. Yep, you're welcome. Man, that was encouraging. I, I love the simplicity of Kyle's approach and just, again, just how it comes directly out of scripture, how it comes from the life of Jesus. I love those four words. I'm going to repeat them again. This is like worth writing down, sharing with your family, sharing with your friends. Uh, Just remember it is about love, listen, discern, respond. The simplicity of that approach is perfect. And so that's what we need to do. We need to love people and then just start by listening, asking them a question. How can I pray for you? You never know where that simple question is going to lead. So Kyle, thank you so much for coming and spending some time with us in the studio today. You are a gift to the church, and I am proud to call you a friend. If you guys would like to learn more about how to bring the Better Man 11-week experience to your church or to your community, please visit betterman.com. Today's episode was mixed and edited by the amazing team over at Sound of a Rose. You can learn more about them at soundofarose.com. Once again, thank you so much for listening. Have a great day.